and welcome to another episode of Novel Not New, a True End podcast. A podcast where we mostly cover uh, visual novels and things like that. I'm Jennifer Uncle, um, who's also on Scanline Media. Oh, that was a weird transition. Uh, hi. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> was there supposed to be more than that? I... <laughs> You said, you said, I'm Jennifer Uncle, who's also on Scanline Media, oh. and then you just stopped. Okay, okay, let's, <laughs> let's try that again. <laughs> oh god, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh. <laughs> okay. I, that's Jennifer Uncle, I'm Six Detmar, hello M. Hi, I'm M Marco. from Normal Mapping. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, no, it's fine. You're, you know, you're really getting in the spirit of our game this week. I would, I would suggest this is what happens when you don't record in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So, for the past few months, we've all been working through 428 Shibuya Scramble, which uh, initially came out in Japan on the Wii in uh. 2008, published by Sega. Um, around 10 years later, Spike Chunsoft hired a few localization experts, and they brought it upon themselves to release this in other countries as well. And now it's on PS4 and Windows. And uh, it's kind of a spiritual successor to a 1993, uh, what they called a sound novel on the Sega Saturn called Machi. Has a few plot details and, uh, it also locate, it, it's also takes place within Shibuya. So th they did a little bit of teasing back when it was coming out that it was a follow up of sorts, but yeah, it's basically a, it's basically, at least at the beginning, a comedic uh, disaster um, visual novel where everything is going wrong at once and these comical, stereotypical characters are doing their best to work, they w work their way through and survive an entire day in Shibuya as uh, more and more threats come around them. Should we start with what we thought of it just to get it out of the way? Sure. Uh, so uh, this is, is an exciting, exciting visual novel where mysteries unfold like laundry. And uh, over the course of like 90 hours, I'm exaggerating, but it's a very long game. Uh, you're you're figuring out like all the stuff that's going on. You're meeting all these characters. And at first I had my initial irritations with like the way the game is structured, because I think it makes a lot of choices that make like pursuing different paths and stuff really annoying um which we'll talk about um and then i got past that and i realized that i hated the game <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I i guess that kind of thing happens sometimes but from what you've told us it sounds like you really dislike this one more than most yeah um you know i spent i i like genuinely spent a lot of time in the last 24 hours kind of meditating so that I could not be such an asshole on this podcast because <laughs> I just I don't want to be sitting here just being like well it sucks and there's nothing nice about it because that was my emotional response but that's a shitty thing to come on a show and say um and I do you know there are there is stuff I will I will commend the, the game for there is stuff it does that's interesting and and different but 
overall, I just had a really bad time with the game. Yeah, that's a shame. Uh, I was really excited for this game when we started um, because it's like a nice, interesting, weirdo slice of life thing um, with some really excellent writing, specifically in the like information tooltips, which is the one best, it's single best part of this game uh, is yeah. the voice of those, uh, which often just meanders into side stories built into them and goofy jokes and just incredibly well-translated puns and characters um and then about halfway through this game uh the the fun characters all go away uh and all the serious characters step up f- with like the worst cop virus plot in the entire world and i liked it a lot less um which is a shame um and so i feel like uh my uh, uh, interest in this game is very split very uneven uh also worth noting this game's like 30 hours long <laughs> Yeah, and and it gets even longer if you decide to go the ridiculous route and try and get every single ending, chase down every single bonus thing, because not only are they well hidden, but it's a real slog to get all of the endings. Like, there are 85 endings total, and a lot of them, especially when you get further to the end, are just slight uh, adjustments to what you've already seen in other bad endings. Like, early on, they do take some incredible detours. Like, uh, one of them I saw involved uh, the cat suit. Uh, basically, um, Maria, who was stuck in the Tama suit, wasn't able to get it off. And she basically... Well, actually, they, they find it. Uh, basically... One of the other characters finds it, and it's off, and then they start looking around at it, and they start hearing a sound of cats yowling within it, and then the sound of cats yowling becomes a cacophony. The suit transports them through time and space, and they just fly into a black hole as you just hear your soundscape is overtaken by cats doing that, basically screaming. It's incredible. The frustrating thing about, like, I did enjoy some of those those bad ends, but I stopped pursuing them um, mostly after the first chapter, because what happened was I got, you know, I got a number of bad ends in the first hour, because this game is for the most part divided up into, like, hour-long blocks. Um, and so I got a number of bad ends in that first block, and I was like, oh, that's neat. I bet I can, and I looked up to see how many there were after clearing, you know, the first hour. And I was like, let me go back and get the rest of them, because I think they're interesting. And I did that, and then I was like, okay, I got all the bad ends, let me go on to the second hour. And I couldn't. Because the way this game's, like, timelines work is whatever choices you just made, it locks you into that timeline, and you have to go back and basically play through the chapter again, even if you've already cleared it, to fix your timeline. Um, It feels like a really weird, like unintuitive bad system frankly because we've had games like like um i hate to give it credit for this but like the zero the zero escape series after the first one after 999 starts doing this where they have like the map of like of choices and how they branch out and it's really easy to trace down the choices you've made and pick at what point in what timeline you want to jump to and in and shibuya scramble it's just a disaster yeah and if you end up going back and uh changing a choice just to see how it happened within a previous chapter it uh 
it fucks up the timeline until you go back and uh, fix whatever you changed, take a look at a special ending. And it was designed with that in mind, because if you're chasing down everything you need for the conspiracy ending, you have to specifically get bad endings and then wait for anywhere from 30 seconds to 3 minutes as the screen scrolls over to a code you have to enter on your controller. And then you have to set it back up so it goes back to the true ending. So when you're going into the conspiracy ending, everything is set up properly. This is hell. You're describing hell. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, it, it's something you never know to look for unless they were giving small hints as you clear some of the side stories. But uh, a lot of the secret finding in this game is waiting as a screen scrolls past for any number of minutes until a little Mr. Clean appears and is like, okay, here's the code you need to enter. <laughs> it's... I don't know how this got through. I mean, it's it's it it came through because it's it's like it's from the world of visual novels and uh like basic and like point and click, which are and, and there's a lot of overlap there, adventure games, and there is still a mindset there among older creators where like gameplay time is inherently good regardless of how you create it. I could see that for sure, and uh, but yeah, overall, I'm really liked the writing sometimes in spite of the localizer's initial intentions because uh th there's a gag early on that's really good where uh kano the detective character idolizes a uh, different detective named uh tatano and he starts his own journal um that he basically he basically calls it like the dick diary and he writes down dick dictums with uh, various phrases and uh, the localizer in an interview with PlayStation um, blog mentioned they initially wanted to call them dick tips, but uh, someone decided, okay, that's way too much. So they pulled it back to dick dictum. Dick dictum's way funnier also. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> definitely, definitely the superior choice there. Yeah. That, that same interview also slightly reveals how this localization happened because David Cracker, who joined the uh, um, Spike Chunsoft team at some point in the recent past, uh, was basically like, uh, 428 is the most Japanese game in our back catalog, so when I joined Spike Chunsoft, I made it my mission to localize it. So when he took on that role as director, everything else kind of slid into place. Hmm. Uh, it seems like we're mostly focusing on mechanical right now. So do you have any? Do you have any mechanical... Uh, I mean, I know you like the, the tips a lot, and I did too, um, but like, is there anything else about the, the game systems that caught your eye? I feel like we've most uh, mostly covered everything. I feel like the jump system is one of the most opaque things in a game full of opaque things, um, especially when it punishes you for committing to staying on one person's track by getting you jumps that you can't go to yet. Like... Uh, and then you just have to go back to them later and use the jumps because often you'll get like a jump that's like, oh, I can go back to Achi in like, like 1345, but then Achi gets a keep out at 1340. So you have to go back to the thing you already know and fill it in again. Um, there's a lot of showing you the solutions to puzzle puzzles in heavy quotes that have not actually been, uh, shown to you yet. And it just seems so backwards and confusing. Like, do they expect you to play every character like in 10 minute increments? Cause that's what it feels like sometimes. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I feel like the tutorial, at least at the very beginning, was pointing towards that kind of play because as soon as the jump icon appears, the game stops everything to go, okay, this is what this does. We want you to jump there now. And it more or less guides you that way for the first hour or so before loosening things up. But from based on the way that I played it, it seems like that's what they initially intended, which I wish that they found a different mechanical way to communicate that and keep people on track, but uh, it is what it is. And it gets bad, especially in the last hour, because A, there are routes that you need to complete the game that are not visible on the timeline at all, and B, it just hits you with bad end. I, it, it hits you with keep out after keep out after keep out at such a at a pace that's almost delirious. Yeah, I don't like the way it it structures its like reveals and like the way the stories interlock. I like parts of like the way it does it in the story there's a writing consideration where they're like let's really write everything as though it could happen right like when you're on the road to a bad end characters like the the music and the writing sometimes hints that there's a bad end coming but the characters continue to act like you're doing the right thing in a way i like like there are lots of ways near the end of the game where you can guess wrong where the bomb is and it's kind of in some cases it's kind of obvious but they're still like talking like they're doing the big heroic thing and they're like this is it any moment now i'm gonna find the bomb and then they don't and everything everybody dies um so i like the the writing's commitment to like fully exploring the wrong options but yeah the way that it actually expects you to shift around is is very confusing and and stupid <laughs> yeah especially since the in that uh last half or so sometimes the only thing the only difference between the right path and the wrong path is a slight different slightly different uh choice of action that doesn't seem major at all like in order to figure out what's up with the detective the uh well the other detective that uh um kano idolizes you have to do a very specific motion where you initially hold back on doing anything, but then salute him. And if you do anything else other than those two steps, then you might as well not even know that that other path exists. Because mm-hmm. they, they also take away the hints at the very end. Like, when you hit bad ends elsewhere, they're like, uh-oh, if someone else did something if someone else did made a different choice in this previous hour or this previous uh, this other timeline, then maybe this could have been averted. But once you get to the end, there's no select hint button at all. You're on your own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just kind of just kind of dumps you into it. Yeah, I, I, I've been talking a lot about it, the uh, bad parts about the ending, but I I do have quite a bit that I like about the first half just like him like uh i think my favorite character is minoru minorikawa uh the freelance journalist he's he's basically someone who seems to take on a whole lot of work and does it in the most aggressive uh antagonistic way possible like 90 percent of the game at least from his perspective is pointing at someone and shouting at them and that's how he conducts interviews. That's how he directs his uh, other freelancers. That's how he does everything. And there, there's something that's almost charming about how 
over the top it is every time. <laughs> and it, it's pretty fascinating because the interview subjects often seem to feel okay when he's done. He just goes in and starts yelling about them, yelling at them about things like, oh, so you think everyone should just be spied on all the time, even in their homes, because you're okay with these cameras outside? What is wrong with you? And then when the person's about to deck them, he's like, oh, no, 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 I was just, I I'm sorry for riling you up. I just, thank you for the interview. This was very informative. And then goes on his way. <laughs> Though the one part that kind of stunk about that was, uh, your boss constantly finds excuses to kill himself if you don't do the right thing in that chapter. So, and that got mm. a bit grating after a while. Yeah, they they treat that that section. His section treats uh, suicide with a with kind of a like I mean, not like a flip. It's treated as like a, a bad thing, but it does like through how how often and how easy it becomes to make your boss commit suicide. It almost becomes like like a gag in a way that I really don't care for. Yeah, totally. The, the other stuff that were that was also slightly serious but handled slightly better was uh, things like the the lone sharks who you're constantly ducking or finding ways to subvert in some way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the, the I, I do think the beginning of the game has a better tone. I I kind of you know I knew it was all going to come together, but I kind of liked it at first when. Again, even though I knew this probably wasn't going to be the case, it felt like these were just disparate stories and sort of like characters like ran into each other. And so their choices interacted with each other, but that could only help their individual stories. I thought that was neat and I would have liked that direction. But um, the end of the game is it all coming together in this super, super virus, antivirus, ransom, murder, kidnapping, terrorist bomb thing. Um, and, uh, I guess, I guess what I would say is it extremely becomes a Spike Chunsoft game. <laughs> yeah, I guess we kind of had the Spike Chunsoft games we've covered for these take pretty similar paths, don't they? I mean, there's, there's this, yeah, I feel like they fall off the the deep end and in my opinion you know obviously there are there are people who are really into that 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 approach and you know i don't think that's invalid or anything but you know it's like they're the Rampa people they're you know like they're zero escape people they make these games that want to like have a really like wild and crazy last act where all the the stakes are are off the off the charts and everything matters and i don't know i I find it really grating, to be honest. Uh, the thing for me, as opposed to a lot of those games, is be maybe it's because it's live action people, maybe it's because it's an older game or whatever, but most of the characters, especially early on, are just, like, nice. Like, mm -hmm. there's just a lot of characters I like. Uh, like, Tama's whole thing with uh, Yanagishita and the Burning Hammer demo. Like, even if there's, like, stuff with... Uh, her like demo partner like constant jokes about like she's the fat character in the game um which sucks like there's just like a warmth with all most of their interactions it feels very lighthearted in a way that like when Danganronpa does this it's fucking the grossest anime tropes in the entire world and that stuff doesn't exist here 
uh, I really just want Yannick Ishita's one more scheme every time story, because <laughs> that's really where the joy of this game is, is everyone reacting to this weirdo who drops in with some con that he did not think through. Um, but that stuff's all, like, nice. Uh, when the dick dictums are just this really dumb detective, uh, like, being overly serious about his job, it's fun when that stuff is, like, the key to unlocking the secret of saving Japan. Uh, I roll my eyes and d- disconnect from it. <laughs> when his concern is getting to his girlfriend, that's good. When it's like, uh, we come back to that at the end of everything, and his, suddenly he gets a call and his, uh, you know, his girlfriend's dad is like, well, we'll talk about marriage next time we talk, son. I'm like, none of this was earned. Like, all of this stuff was here and interesting, and you dropped it all to talk about, uh, like, who's the fake terrorist from the Middle East for three hours. Yeah, and the music they use specifically when all of this is wrapping up sounds like they someone saw Die Hard and went, okay, we need music that's just like that for this ending. <laughs> and it doesn't feel earned in the slightest. I I think if you removed every instance of there being a bomb in this game, this game would instantly be significantly better. I agree. Because it's just like, I don't know, I feel like there's something about the way these sorts of games, and it's not like all games use bombs badly. Uh, I'm going to sit here and say that the, the bomb segment in Metal Gear Solid 2 rules. I also think that bomb segment rules. So It's so good. But like the way they're used in this, and I feel like also some some other games use them in this way, where it's just like a generic tension inflator tool, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, well, we need suspense in this scene. We need there to be stakes. What if there's a bomb? And they do that so many times in this game. Yeah, and and there's something kind of grim about, especially the car bomb, because it's the one thing that uh, if it was an animated game or a CG game, that would be a little bit more... uh, that That would be a little bit more... I wouldn't say goofy, but a little bit more disconnected from reality. When you're playing in a game and a that's live action and you're watching it go into video all of a sudden and a car blows up and people are sent scattered, it's it's kind of grim in a way that the rest of the game's tone doesn't match for the most part. Like uh mm-hmm. there is the Kenji Osawa stuff, which from the get-go plays like a a weird mix of psychological horror and uh this uh, this hapless detective barging in, going, basically having no sense of uh, boundaries and being like, hey, do you want this banana? I have like five in my pocket. But, uh... I, am I forgetting? Is, does he have some kind of conclusion where he's ultimately like a genius? Because there are a few moments where he shows like some really like amazing insight and goes back to being a goof. Yeah, he's, he's the one that helps... Uh, Stanley and uh, Kanan get to the um, center basically by yeah, he basically um, ends up purposefully crashing in a way that gets them to the um, where they need to go. Oh yeah, okay. For some reason, I forgot that that was the same character. Osawa okay. is boring as shit. Is the problem? 
but he's a dad. No, it, it sucks. <laughs> because gotta, gotta, none gotta of that matters. Dad. None of that. He doesn't get any good resolution of that stuff. He just sits around and frets for eight, like six hours and then like is a mechanic in the plot. And that's it. That's really all that happens. The only good scene with him is when they make breakfast and he doesn't know or, and he doesn't know how to use the microwave. That's it. So what you're saying is no love for dad. No love for dad. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I did love that scene where him and his assistant were talking in the bathroom and the camera, for some reason, is right in the toilet bowl. <laughs> yeah, they do take some opportunities given that it, because it's live action where they're just like, and also because it doesn't have to be like, it just is just stills for the most part. You know, there are parts where there's where there's actual full on, you know, live action, but for the most part, it's just photos. So they can get some really, really stupid shots. <laughs> I do. I do kind of enjoy yeah. Uh, what did y'all think of of Achiendo? Uh He's a great character that's in the absolute wrong game for him. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Because uh, I like this, like, a sweet boy who's just trying to do the good thing. Um, but they don't have the time, especially towards the end, to, like, pay off any of his stuff about, like, I just went to clean out the streets. All the stuff where he goes back to SOS, I think, is terrible. And, yeah. like, just really pat. I'm like, if I want this, I could just go watch, like, a common Rider and actually enjoy the storytelling being put to the forefront. Um, he is extremely a common Rider character. Yes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I've, seen, I've seen two episodes of Gaim, and I know that this dude is just a common Rider character. <laughs> um, the... His best moment, in my opinion, his best moment is when he's he's with Hitomi and like you know he gets stuck in that whole thing for too long, um, you know the game, <laughs> um, <laughs> but and they're walking along and he sees just some random like middle aged dude by the side of the railroad picking up trash and he's like, were you picking up trash? And the dude's like, yeah. And he's, he just like grabs his hand. And he's like, someone understands. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I, I liked his stuff, but I feel like when the rest of the characters show up, when Kano finally has something to do, I feel like Achi really takes a backseat. And I think the game suffers for it because he is just like a kind of a gormless idiot through most of it in like a really fun way. I like him a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like his whole thing of, uh, I-, I feel like the whole SOS thing would have worked better if, uh, like, the thing that Achi keeps insisting on is that he started SOS because he just wanted to have a good time with a bunch of dudes and hang out and protect Shibuya. And if the gang showed a little bit more, I don't know, friendliness or goofiness or just like, oh yeah, we look tough and we run a club, but we're just here, like, trading cards or whatever, then that that might have played a bit better. Yeah, all the stuff with, like, the a- actual, like, Kiryu showing up and, like, trying to run it like the Oxo. None of that's necessary. I don't think it adds anything. I think it actually detracts from that story. Like, his arc ends up feeling really muddied because it's just the person he has actual conflict with uh, teaming up with him to beat up the, ac- the like, cartoonish bad guy. Yeah. yeah. It, there, there's a really much of a resolution with uh, Achi and the person that he left SOS in. Um, he, he basically left SOS too. And, uh, yeah, that, that guy, everything gets resolved as soon as they beat the other person up and they're like, well, I'm going to be a better person than you and give you what you want. And it's like, oh, okay. You know, I feel like that's a good summary of the, the problems of the latter half of this game is it does, everyone gets tied up in some form of, of cartoonish villain that gets introduced to have, you know, like, and for most people, it's 
not can I fucking god damn it starts with an A. Um Conan? No, uh, the Conan the person who's pretending to be Conan the whole time. Oh, Alfard. Yes. Uh, it's for most people it's Alfard and it's just like this, yeah, as as you mentioned earlier, Jen, it's like, oh, and here's this like nameless, faceless terrorist from the Middle East who's also apparently just like an 18-year-old girl with a Glock and bombs everywhere and she works with the CIA kind of and she's trafficking in international killer viruses and it's just like why are you in this game go go be in like Zero Escape 4 or something get lost yeah I I did like uh, the heel that appeared uh, in the latter part of Minorikawa's story like the publisher who just carries a stopwatch around and is constantly shouting at the time or being like, I don't think I owe you this, or this is my idea of manners. There's something very fun about his goofiness in that regard. Yeah, I liked him because he's a good foil for Minorikawa's like belligerence, because his whole story is him just railroading people into doing what he wants. Like the lady at the cafe that he's going to should have beat him up and kicked him out like a thousand times <laughs> over. Uh, so him yeah. coming across a guy that he can't bully by just being like the older person in this story is very good. Uh, that guy's also a clown, but it's good the way he stymies Minorikawa a lot. Totally. It's a weird thing where, like, a lot of the time I didn't, like, I didn't find this game very funny for the most part, but I was still grateful for the comedy because I appreciated that kind of atmosphere. I guess it's partially because of what you mentioned, M, where it's like the characters just seem, like, nice, right? They just seem friendly in Mm -hmm. a way that for, for a, I've spent too many, I've played too many Japanese mystery visual novels, by Spike Chunsoft, <laughs> and I just had this expectation of everyone of like fan service and gore and assholes, and it's just like this is nice. Even when I don't think your jokes are funny, like haha, the energy drink sucks. This is great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, or the bit where Tom uh, ends up uh, if you, if you end up not having any burning hammer to sell, she finds um, pendants and basically hypnotizes a bunch of old ladies, including Minorikawa, into being uh like those like those one weird trick blogs that you see everywhere about losing fat except it's just buying the sweet pendant <laughs> that was a pretty good moment yeah another one of those another one of those good uh good side endings what did y'all think of stanley at least initially <laughs> like i i thought he was kind of fun in terms of the way that he looks like a quintessential American FBI person, even though he's a British actor, which I realized in the behind the scenes video. <laughs> I, I extremely love when the CIA shows up in a Japanese piece of media. My favorite one of this is Yakuza 3, where like yes. a whole group of these guys show up and they're all cartoons because uh, they're all incredibly tall. And the thing I wish that this game had was voice acting where we could get this guy clearly uh, has been in Japan a long time and doesn't speak English like an American, but is going to do his best anyway, damn it, uh, which is the best version of these you can ever hope for um, yeah the the best the best is like yeah it's as you say it's yakuza 3 with like kiryu squaring up against the guy and the guy being like what do you want and kiryu's like nanda kisama <laughs> <So good. laughs> um but then i i feel like when they finally give him a backstory it's just it's just 
it's just the most like tropey nonsense thing. I don't understand how I'm expected to care about this guy's whole deal. Like 25 hours into this game, I'm already over. <laughs> it's, I feel like I'm torn because on the one hand, like, I feel like that's, to, to me, that's the point. Maybe it's not supposed to be the point. I don't know. But like, this dude named Stanley, come, this American named Stanley shows up with a generic, boring backstory, and he's just here to be a hero. And I'm like, yes, this is the exact kind of lame that this arc deserves. Yeah, I guess but it's, that I guess it's make possible. it engaging. But like him and Tatano both get the like same thing at the same time, and Tatano's is a little better. Uh, he's like a less interesting mm. character, but his backstory at least has like some thought put into it. It's true. He, I mean, one time he doused himself in gasoline so he could talk to an arsonist. You know. He was just—he just had a death wish. Yeah, I guess so. The the one thing, well, the the two things I really like about Jack Stanley. Um, one, his name is Jack Stanley. His brother's name is something like Bill Stanley, <laughs> and uh, his uh, FBI card, where the signature is supposed to be, it just says John Hancock on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's. I think it would have been a lot better if he turned out to be Alfar because everything was pointing in that direction. And it was like, there's nothing really, there's nothing that really feels like a big payoff to finding out that uh, the person who's who's posing as Kanan is actually Alfar. But uh, I'm still not entirely sure why I'm supposed to care about Kanan at all, other than one of the girls was friends with her, I guess. But we never see that. So who cares? Well, you have to watch the anime. I'm not going to watch the anime. <laughs> uh, so I, I did play the entire routes that unlocks if you get the true ending of mm-hmm. um, Kanan's route. And it's ridiculous. Like, it was all done by... Uh, it was all written and drawn by Type Moon, who you might know from the uh, Fate series. They made most of the, at least initial, visual novels in that series. and uh, Or any of your other, basically, favorite psychological horror porn games. <laughs> Uh, yeah, basically. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, her whole thing is that, um, she lived in a, uh, village in the Middle East, um, which got attacked by a weaponized version of the UA virus, which, uh, in this story has a 100% lethality rate, but, uh, 100% lethality rate, but somehow she is the only one who survived that, and, uh, because of that, she has a synesthesia initially, but then once that happens, it becomes a superhuman trait where she can look at code and be like, okay, here's the code you need to crack. I can tell because the colors are slightly different. Or she can track Alfard by looking at other people and seeing, oh, some of her color has rubbed off on this random pedestrian. Alfard must have been involved. You know, you know what sucks? Anime. <laughs> Yeah, and the weirdest part is they start using the footnotes in that particular story. Basically, she was taken in by uh, Sham, who uh, is someone who's part mercenary, part uh, freedom fighter for the um, Palestinian front. And the game takes time to explain the Israeli-Palestinian... Pal- the game takes time to explain the Israeli-Palestinian in conflict... I keep butchering the name. I'm really sorry. I bet it does a great job, right? <laughs> it's all in the service of these two people who are superhumans fighting against each other because the whole thing with Alfard is she also had a tragic backstory, but her whole thing, instead of uh, learning to 
have her emotions is to drop her emotions entirely, and that's what makes her evil. And that's how, in this uh, side story that's a prequel to 428, uh, Kanan's able to best off art initially because her ability to basically off art gets angry enough that Kanan can read her emotions, which allows her to tell where Alfard is going to point the gun, which allows her to dodge bullets in a, on a uh, top of a moving train. <laughs> I just had an idea. Let's not talk about this anymore. This is terrible. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I hate should, this so much. <laughs> I should just mention the anime is also really terrible, but they also... It's a sequel to 428, and none of the characters look like they do in 428. Like, you just you could just watch noir. Like I'm looking at screenshots of this. I'm like, you know what's good? Noir. You could just watch that. That's a good anime about some assassins. Yeah, and or, it, you know, or you could just watch like I don't know, like Nichijo. Who cares? <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. But if you really want some girls to have some guns, like noir's got your back. <laughs> yeah, and the other thing with the Kanon anime is that uh, it's it's really over the top sexual in a really uncomfortable way. Like, uh, Midor Kawa's constantly either running into skimpy girls or hitting on skimpy girls, and that's not Minor his Kawa's character like in this. like, 40. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense that he's... It doesn't match his character in 428 at all. Let's not pretend that 40-year-olds in anime don't hit on everyone. <laughs> oh, you know, I guess that's... I If they exist at all, I guess that's true. Yeah, the, the whole thing with that is that they take the UA virus to an even more ridiculous degree because Kanon's fighting a bunch of mutants who are also exposed to it. So oh my God. there's this one dude who has two hearts, so he's super old. There's another person who <laughs> stretches limbs. It's real bad. Jen, you have to stop. <laughs> Jen, please stop talking. <laughs> I've never asked this on a podcast before. Please honor my request. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I, I can stop talking about that. D- don't watch it. <laughs> Thank you. I'm grateful. But yeah, it, it's weird because right next to that, there's a different side story. Like, um, Achi's whole backstory is that his uh, mother died at an when he was pretty young, and his sister has a similar disease, and the only way it can be cured is that she needs a heart transplant from someone else who has a very particular type of blood. So, if you end up managing to get 50 bad endings, you get her side story, which is basically a sob story in a hospital where a kid younger than her has a bad liver, and then the two of them grow close together, and they, f- and he finds out that she has Bombay blood, which is the same that he has. So, he does everything he can to study up on surgeries and finds out that if he somehow makes it to his 15th birthday... He will be able. He will be eligible to donate his organs. So the whole story is basically him doing his best to survive to his fifteenth birthday, and then secretly, when he dies, he they the hospital basically uses that to give her his heart. And there's a whole note that she receives, being like, "You meant so much to me, and now I can help you live on through my heart, and we'll be together forever this way." Okay. Yeah, it w- it was surprisingly touching and well done, and it's right, and it's the second side story you get next to this 
anime nonsense. So, this game is a whole mess of different tonal ideas, and sometimes that works okay, and then other times it kind of clashes against one another in a very obvious, very off-putting way. Hmm. Though, weirdly enough, it seems to be one of the highest-rated visual novels ever. Like, uh, Famitsu gave it a perfect score. Um, when it came out over here, basically everyone gave it glowing reviews. So, I, I feel like we might be in the minority with our position here, but... Uh, I mean, Famitsu ain't what it used to be. And hasn't been for quite some time. Famitsu gave a perfect score to Medal of Honor Pacific Assault. So... <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> the, yeah, the one... Yeah, they're... They're... they're or maybe that wasn't the one that... Which one was it? Metal, it's Pacific something. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, it's... Anyway. No, it was Pacific Assault. I was right. Um, no, it's just like... Famitsu has 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 not does not have the prestige it used to at least in my mind. They're a lot more a, a lot more easygoing with those ratings than they used to be. I'm not saying that they're like they they're like people are buying them or anything. I'm just saying a perfect score from Famitsu. I've definitely I've definitely heard indications that maybe people are buying them a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I I don't I don't I have heard that as well. I don't feel like I know enough to make that statement for sure. Mm-hmm. The but. thing the thing that does matter here is it regularly rates really high in reader polls, which is a much better indication of things being popular. Yeah, that's true. Um, oh, yeah. But I, I don't too. I don't understand it at all. Like, I, when we started this game seemingly a thousand years ago, I definitely had people at me on Twitter being like, oh, this is one of my favorite games the year it came out. And I was I, I just don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wonder if I wonder if we would have felt slightly differently if we didn't feel this pressure to get it done for a podcast. But uh... I, I never would have played it. So I don't I don't know. That's not a good metric for me. I mean, so I I crunched this week because a lot of the weeks I didn't play it because like and and that's that's how it was gone. I would have played the first like two hours, which is what I did, and then I stopped for a long time because I just didn't like it. That part didn't feel like podcast pressure to me. And then it was like, okay, now we've got a deadline. Now I need to crunch. And between playing it and also watching a lot of LPs of it, because I just. Here's the other thing that I I haven't squeezed in here is at very, very few points in the game do I feel like the fact that it's a game adds anything. For the most part, I feel like this is a game where every time I interact with it, I'm made more unhappy. Uh, Yeah, no, that's fair. I spent a lot of time thinking about how many books or how many shows I could be watching instead of playing that. So... (laughs) Yeah for, yeah, for me, a lot of the, the novelty carried it for me most of the way through. Like, uh, I wish that more games did silly live-action bullshit and something about doing it within a visual novel format instead of uh, trying to make it something you actually have to control in some level made it uh, less aggravating than those games tend to be. Uh, Wavy Two Men, Chronicles aside... <laughs> But yeah, it's it's one of the situations where a lot of what I saw from this is it's something that you basically never see, especially at a budget like this, because there's like 30,000 distinct shots and they had actors filming for months on it. And 
yeah, it, it's one of those things where it's like, I wish there were more games like this, except maybe not exactly like this. So, <laughs> I don't know, something with a format that'd be a little bit more sustainable for people. Yeah, it's yeah. it's one of those things where I've I've often thought about if I ever get around to making a visual novel myself, I'd love to just get a bunch of friends together and do something silly with photos. But uh, yeah, it's one of those things where I'm glad that something like this exists. And but if no one is able to really do it better with the same scope and budget, then I'm fine with this being the main one. Yeah. I don't know. I I think in a lot of ways I don't feel like there was I don't the, there's a level of overacting that is associated with like, you know, FMV stuff and I feel like it doesn't carry over as well in steel and stills. I feel like a lot of the shots just didn't work for me and I don't I I ultimately came down fairly negative on on the game's presentation and and art. Huh, okay. Yeah, I I thought some of the goofier poses were some of my favorite parts. Like, uh, I took a bunch of photos of Yadagashita, um, doing various things like pointing to the, off into the distance with a smile on his face, but his eyes are full of tears and everyone else is lining up around him like they're doing a Sentai pose together or something. Hmm. Yeah, I, I can definitely see how the lack of voice acting and the lack of motion might make things a bit more awkward. Because I, I also... Anytime they switched over to actually showing actual video, I got really excited. Yeah, the few times that happened were pretty were pretty potent. They they worked. They were good. They were good. Like exclamation mark on certain scenes in a way that I, I enjoyed. Totally. Is there anything else we should touch on? Uh, maybe we should just kick it to our emails. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, um, people... Oh, go, oh, ahead. go ahead. Oh, okay, go ahead. I was going to introduce them. <laughs> so, yeah, you can do that. <laughs> uh, if people want to send emails about the games we're playing or any other games, you can send them to podcast at abnormalmapping.com. Um, and we have two emails today. Um, we have one from Kyrie uh, that is about... Uh, sh- should be a scramble is like a story about the location. Um uh, writes in with, uh, I was working as an English teacher in Gunma around 2014, and one weekend I decided it would be fun to visit Tokyo and Akihabara. I uh, decided I would stay in a capsule hotel in Shibuya the night before. The problem was Shibuya is a crowded and hectic place. The scramble to cross these streets is stressful and very real since my Japanese proficiency at the time was so low, it didn't take me long to get lost. I also didn't have a smart device with GPS beyond an iPod Touch with limited Wi-Fi. I spent most of my day trying to avoid tourist traps, cars, and busy streets. After several hours, I was tired, lost, and hungry. To my surprise, I saw a Zabaro on the side of the road and decided some pizza would be what I needed. The desperation of going to Zabaro to editorialize. <laughs> I just, yeah. I, I one time was like, I had a, a fun game with my friends where we were trying to describe every pizza place in like one or two words. Well, usually a couple of words. Um... And when Sparrow came up, someone said, sweaty pizza. And I was like, yeah, no, that's it. Uh, <laughs> went up to the counter ready to use my shoddy Japanese when I found a black American girl about my age working behind the counter who could tell I was lost the moment I walked in. I was nearly in tears as I was not only able to finally get food, but got directions to the capsule hotel I wanted to go to. I made it to the hotel with a full belly, and after visiting the public bath, I had one of the best nights of sleep I ever had. Wish I could remember her name, because finding someone like her in the middle of a Shibuya pizza joint saved my day. I hope she got a promotion to manager. 
Uh, do you have stories of weird but remarkable encounters while visiting a foreign country? What other locations would you want a scrim- Shibuya Scramble style game set in? Uh, thank you for reading my story. Uh, I would say I would like a better game set in any location. <laughs> <laughs> I've also never left the U. Uh, I, like I've been to Canada briefly, but not in like a mm. significant way. So, yeah, I've been to uh, Germany and Ireland. Um, Germany, I was mostly with relatives, so most of my games, m- most of my days, I. I combined my sentences there. <laughs> Most of my days were playing chess with a, uh, a like my great uncle who did not speak a word of English and I didn't speak enough German to get across. So we just hung out and silently played chess and smiled at each other. Um, and then in Ireland, I just walked around in Ireland because everyone speaks English and it was fine. <laughs> Dublin's cool. Yeah, like, uh, the most out of this country I've ever been, which really wasn't out of this country, was, uh, Hawaii, which happened a little bit earlier this year, um, and that's all geared towards, uh, English language, at least it is now, so there wasn't really any sense of getting lost so much, uh, I do know that my parents, uh, have been to Paris before, and some, seeing some of the pictures there of it, or of France in general, make it seem like a pretty interesting city, so... I imagine you could get some pretty good locations there. Like, uh, one thing with Shibuya Scramble is they do get into some of Shibuya's history from time to time. Like, uh, they talk about the statue that's near the Scramble itself and the various trains and all that. So, I, I feel like having a having a mystery set in Paris that also gets pretty informative with that stuff would be fun. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I can read the next question. Yeah. Uh, email coming in from uh, Cass Water. Uh, Dear M, Jen, and Six, uh, I played through 428 in preparation for this podcast and had a pretty good time with it. I really fell for the game's visual style, and the story has exactly as much ridiculous energy as I needed from a game like this. Jack Stanley. Even, though it's so- even if it's sometimes undercut by a mean streak that really doesn't belong. Some questions. Uh, do y'all have a favorite bad end in 428 and in games more broadly? Ever come across one you wish had been expanded upon? Um, are there any visual novels you'd like to see remade in live action? Uh, do you need to check out uh, Kanan, which we talked about? Um, really enjoy Novel on New. Thanks so much for all the work y'all put into it. So I, I think my favorite bad ending is with uh, Achi as he's trying to... Uh, as he's basically trying to guide... Uh, the sister uh, Hitomi Osawa um, through Shibuya away from the assassin chasing her. Like, uh, there's there's a bit where if Tama ends up inadvertently turning on the light in the previous scenario, um, Ashi and Hitomi will pass by it, and uh, Hitomi more or less dies from fright, and you find out from Achi that uh, his new goal in life is not only to clean out the trash, but also basically get rid of all the bugs. And he sees it as the failure on himself that he wasn't able to clean up the city enough. And he's just looking up into the sky at a uh, at a pleasant-looking Hitomi that's basically silhouetted in the clouds. <laughs> it's pretty ridiculous in a fun way. 
uh, the first time I got the like ending that skips forward, I think was a Kano one where he ends up like retiring and becoming a farmer like a year later. Mm, uh, yeah. And I like that one just because I was like, you know what? This is way nicer of an ending than anything that's going to happen in the actual game. And you know what? I was right. <laughs> Could have just ended there like 45 minutes in and I would have had a great time. <laughs> yeah, I actually my my favorite bad end ended up coming really early on. Um because you get it very early on, you um, like first first hour, Achi sees you know Hitomi ready to make the the exchange and everything, and you have the option to just be like, well, I guess it's none of my business. And this like this like cheery music goes, and he's just sort of walking. He's like, oh, those crazy kids! I bet they're filming a movie or something. Ah, oh, Shibuya, what a crazy city! I love this town. Do 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 do. I'm like, this is great. <laughs> Found it really charming. So. Uh, I, I, that is the, that was sort of the, the peak example of like the tone I like. Um, and I guess it also represents like speaking as like, like bad ends I would like to see expanded upon that kind of speaks to the tone I was hoping for is like everyone going about their stories and like trying to get, you know, happy endings for them, but it not being that high stakes, I would have loved it where the right choice was to just walk off and have the rest of your day. And it's just like, everyone's just like, you know, their passes past cross and they're dealing with problems, but mostly it's just, you know, have a good day. That's the game I wanted. <laughs> yeah. That, that reminds me of a certain other visual novel, which I won't name for spoiler's sake, where the ultimate ending is just to choose not to participate. And you have to go through everything else that happens if you do participate to get there. But that that's a, I found that to be a pretty fun moment in that other thing. And, uh... The butterfly effect. <laughs> <laughs> Any other favorite bad endings from, from other games? Hmm. The... A little bit of spoilers here. I guess it doesn't really matter. Um, the first bad ending I got in 999 um, was the one Clover's Little Girl, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. I got the ending where Clover brutally murders everyone with an axe, which was yes. maybe the most surprising thing I'd ever seen. This is also like maybe like my second or third visual novel, like after some Phoenix Wright. Uh, so I was not prepared for that. <laughs> yeah, that's quite a moment. <laughs> yeah, that is that is a good bad end for sure. It was I I I experienced that one pretty late at night, and I was just like, Jesus Christ! All right. <laughs> yeah. I think there was some fun... Well, I'm not sure if they were actually considered bad endings, but I, I do like some of the ways that Dream Daddy almost seems like it's going to go in a weird direction, but then it pulls back. Mm-hmm. And, Just uh, opening the door of discourse by saying this. Oh. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fine. Um, at, in terms of uh, visual novels, I'd like to see remade in live action. Um... I would be interested in a truncated live-action version of uh, Umineko, just because I'm still in pretty much the same place I was when we did that checkup segment in the last uh, episode of the show, and uh, I'm not making much progress, and I think that having a bunch of people in fancy clothes uh, laugh at each other and backstab each other would be pretty fun. I don't know if I could think of one that I like. I just don't know what being in live action would bring to ones that are pre-existing. Um, mm-hmm. 
Uh, because, like, I enjoy the live-action stuff here, but I don't think it's, like, adds a uniqueness that other visual novels don't have, uh, especially since most of it's so not animated. Um, so I don't, yeah. I don't know if you gain anything, necessarily. I'd like to see, like, if there was, like, a of-its-era movie adaptation of, like, Portopia, I'd watch that. I should watch the Phoenix Wright movie. That's the actual answer. Yeah, like, uh, yeah, that's, that's the other thing, like... There's certain clips of that movie done by Takashi Miike that are incredible because there's a bit where Phoenix says something ridiculous and the entire the entire courtroom falls over in shock. <laughs> and it, you can hear there's no sound effects or anything. It's just a bunch of sound of people hitting their body on the floor as they're like, what? <laughs> and yeah, ha- having a... Having a game act like that in live action would be pretty great. Uh, Hakuoki. No. <laughs> no. I'm um, yeah, I mean, I'm the one who didn't really like the live action stuff that much, so I'm going to say n- nothing, but, you know. Lady Killer in a Bind. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> that would just be uh, a whole mess. Uh, yeah <laughs> that would be rough speaking of opening the door discourse again <laughs> so yeah i guess my closing thoughts for this game would be i enjoyed it for the most part i thought it was very funny and it's type of goofy humor and like some of the faces the guy that is hanging out with uh osawa makes the detective kept cracking me up his delivery of that stuff is just very good. But, uh, yeah, as soon as they're taking this uh, 100% mortality rate virus seriously and trying to be like, oh, wait, no, Alfred wanted things to look like they went wrong because they were at- that actually meant things were going right, was uh, a lot of it didn't make any sense, or the sense it did make was just pretty silly and uh, nonsensical. So, yeah. Radical Six. Ice Nine. Kill me. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, my closing thoughts are, um, if we can have this enjoyable of a conversation about a game like this, this podcast has a bright future. Hell yeah. Uh, that's funny, considering uh, this game made me want to never play a visual novel ever again. <laughs> yes, yeah, so, so this is probably the part where we should pull back the curtain a bit and say that this game has uh, basically pushed us to do a format change of sorts. Like, uh, we're going to be doing games other than visual novels from time to time, and uh, sort of weaving them in with the visual novels as well. Uh, we, we've already done some of that with stuff like the grab bag and... Uh, there was some other game we played that was like that, but... Uh... Why Am I Dead at Sea? Oh yeah, Why Am I Dead at Sea? But yeah, we're, we're going to do that a little bit more often, just be- so we're not accidentally stumbling into 30-hour video games that uh, suck the life out of everyone. So, with that in mind, uh, next time we convene, we'll be discussing Unavowed, which is a... It's a adventure game by uh, Watch It Eye, who have been making adventure games for a really, really long time. And, uh, yeah, very excited. Very excited for that one. Yeah, it'll be exciting. It's it's something I've been wanting to talk about a lot because I think the way that it combines adventure game elements with uh, some stuff you might see in a Bioware game 
it's pretty fascinating and leads to some excellent storytelling. But, uh, yeah. Hopefully more people get to play it. And hopefully this podcast helps people get the motivation to play it. All right. Well, I think, uh, is that, that it for us here? I think that's it. Yeah. Seems like it. All right. Well, until next, don't drink a burning hammer. Um, but <laughs> I would drink a burning hammer. On. It sounds fun. <laughs> <laughs> Are you one of those people who does like the like the spicy chip no, challenges? No, I'm not. Like I, I enjoy some heat. I'm, I'm not like a spice baby. I don't go crazy with like ghost pepper lollipops or whatever nonsense <laughs> people are into. But if you handed me one, I really like energy drinks. So if you handed me like a five hour energy and was just like, this one's really going to fuck you up. I would drink it in an instant. No hesitation. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The whole thing where if you don't have any food in your stomach, it more or less uh, eats you alive is pretty great. (laughs) Yes. That's exactly what I want for my energy drinks. And like if you're drinking, nobody drinks energy drinks on a full stomach. You drink an energy drink because you've got to get through shit and you don't have anything I, else. I usually have it with a little bit of something because if I don't have, if I have carbonated drink on an empty stomach, I'm, my stomach hurts. So really? Huh. Yes. Okay. This is, this is what happens when I'm in my thirties now. Used to not care, but uh, these days I don't want the tummy ache in the morning. So I need to have some breakfast so I can have a soda. See, I'm I went the other way where now I'm in my 30s and I can like all go an entire day on two 12 ounce cans of Coke and that's it. <laughs> I would die. I would just fall over dead. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of these days I'm getting there. I'm working on it. All right. <laughs> Don't rush me. <sighs> yeah, I guess that about does it. Uh, should we say where we can be found or anything like that or? Ham, why don't you go first? All right. Uh, you can find me at em underscore being on Twitter. Uh, this podcast is part of the Abnormal Mapping, Abnormal Mapping Network, which you can find at abnormalmapping.com or patreon.com slash abnormalmapping. We have a game club called Abnormal Mapping that we've been running for almost six years now uh, that recently put up a Sonic Adventure 2 episode. We're working on an ActRaiser episode. So if you want games that are not narrative, typically, though the Sonic Adventure 2 one, we talk a lot about the story because that's one of the greatest narratives in video games. Um, you can listen to that. It's at thebestgame.club. Uh, I like it a lot. It's good. I was taking a walk right before we recorded this um, to go buy some donuts from the grocery store because I live a healthy life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was listening to this episode and uh, the, I assume it's the Knuckles. That's Knuckles' song that yes, came on? Yes, the rap. Yes. And about, I lost how my much mind. Yes. Yeah, there are multiple Knuckles raps in that game and they are all good. Yep. I, yeah, that that was some wild shit. It's a good episode. Uh, as far as as far as me, uh, I'm on Twitter at six detmar s i x d e t t m a r. If you want to find me there, um, we got a pin tweet there that tells you all the shows that I do. If you want the quick pitch of that, it's we're Scanline Media, scanlinemedia.com, patreon.com slash Scanline Media. We do podcasts. You should watch them. Except for listen to them, because you don't... I mean, you could stare at your... You could stare at the little <laughs> meter ticking up one second at a time. I, I support that decision, if that's how you live your life. But that's my stuff. Yeah. And uh, I can pretty much be found everywhere Six can be found as well. Um, well, Six does podcasts of her own as well, but uh, we're mostly... We're mostly all on Scanline Media and uh, Patreon.com slash Scanline Media. So, Yeah. 
that's that's basically it. <laughs> and uh, I I don't think we have a time frame in pl- we stopped doing a time frame after the last uh, two episodes. So yeah, well, whenever we finish uh, Unavowed, we'll uh, reconvene here and talk about it. And, I bet mid September will take less time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, there'll be less existential dread with this one, I think. <laughs> totally. So. Yeah, there'll be some fun things to talk about. And, uh, yeah, until next time, uh, catch y'all later. Peace. Bye. Bye.